Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's a swing and a drive to center by Ramos. Back and it goes Ellsbury to the wall. It is gone. Wilson Ramos with a two-run home run. And with one swing of the bat, he's given the Rays the lead. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show today from Seattle. We'll hear from Blake Snell about his return home. We'll preview the Major League Baseball draft that begins tomorrow and have our annual sit-down with the widow of Don Zimmer, that is Soot Zimmer. We continue on this week in race baseball, and our featured guest this week is uh, one Blake Snell. And, Blake, obviously the first third of the season has gone extremely well for you. We appreciate you joining us on the program. We're now a day away from the Major League Baseball draft. and Does it feel like seven years since you were drafted? No, not at all. It's kind of flown by, honestly. I remember the day was awesome, but it's honestly been a long time since I remember that day. What do you remember about it? Just family, friends. I remember that I had Little Caesars pizza, soda with all my like friends and family, and yeah, it was, it was cool. It was uh, it's kind of weird just thinking about all the people that were there, the people that have stayed with me throughout that time, the people that have just faded away, but. No, it was very cool for me, and uh, it's just, yeah, it's weird to see how long it's been. It's a pretty vivid memory if you can remember Little Caesar's Pizza, because I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but that usually doesn't stick out. <laughs> no, I remember it, but it wasn't that good, but at the time, I guess it was good. <laughs> uh, tell me this, what, what advice would you give, whether they're with the Rays or any youngster um, in the state of Washington or anywhere, who's starting their career out of high school. What are the things that you know now that you wish you knew then? Uh, I wish I knew how to cook then. I wish I knew how to do laundry. I wish I knew what I was getting into more. Uh, it's, it's a lot, a lot of growing up in that in that one summer that you, you spend in uh, minor league baseball. But, um, yeah, I would just say definitely just learning the basics, cooking, cleaning, um, hanging up all your clothes, like all the real stuff that I never really did. Like I'll hang my clothes, but that was about it. I didn't do my laundry. I didn't cook. I didn't sell grocery shop. Those are all those things I wish I would have known how to do. How about on the field? On the field? Uh, I wish I would have known how to command the fastball better so I could have got called up quicker. Um, but on the field, I don't know. I don't think I'd really change anything. It was all like it's, it's each person has to learn and grow at their respective times. So on the field, I felt like I was a good teammate. I felt like I enjoyed my time at every level. So I would just say if the one thing I could change is I wish my focus was better. That probably would have sped the process up of the minor leagues to the big league team. But I feel like that's what made me as good as I am right now is because I took those steps and, it, and I took that time to really grow and figure it out as a whole player. Where do you think you've grown the most in terms of focusing? Why has your focus been so much better now than it was? Yeah, uh, just because I know how many starts I have. Each one's so valuable. They mean so much. But I would say it's just uh, my every day. I'm just I'm focused every day. So every day means something to me. I'm getting something out of it. And I would say my focus for every day is what's really 
helped me grow as a player uh, on the field and as well as off the field. So I would say just my focus. I'm locked in every day. I know what I'm doing. Um, there's no one that's going to get in my way to kind of mess around until I'm done with my work. And that's what I've noticed most about this year. I'm just focused on every little thing that could get me the most prepared for that one start every five days. Do you think there's a particular reason why the corner turned? Yeah, I was frustrated with last year. Um, I was frustrated with starting slow when I knew I should have been a lot better. Uh, I was frustrated that I let things in the, in the way of what meant the most to me. And once I kind of went through all of that and got sent down last year, it really helped me focus up and realize I don't want this to slot, like slip away. And now it's just every start I say it's personal, but it honestly is because this is something I love doing and I don't want to lose it really ever. While you've been doing that, has your cooking gotten better? <laughs> uh, I would say cooking has gotten better, but I'd also say I eat here a lot, so I don't really ever need an opportunity to cook as much. <laughs> so one go-to meal if you got to do it? My go-to meal is breakfast, so I'm just going to say scrambled eggs and sausage. That's all I really care about. And then maybe toast, but most times just scrambled eggs and sausage because it's very easy to make, and it only takes, what, five, ten minutes? Sausage take a little longer, but still pretty quick. And breakfast is good any time of day. Breakfast is the best. I'll eat it any time, anywhere, yeah. I'll eat it 1 a.m., 7 p.m., whenever. It's the best. So the team is in Seattle now, which obviously is your home area. What is the one go-to place that you miss most about Seattle and why? i got to say two places because they're my, they're my go-to. But number one would be Spiro's Pizza. Um, it's just Italian food. It's my favorite place to go. It's in Shoreline. I go there every time I come back home or when I'm home. I at least go there once a week. It's my favorite spot. Um, and then Wing Dome every Monday. I go with a bunch of my friends. It's always been a thing we've done. The wings are just amazing. What also do you make Seattle special and why? The weather, family, friends, my dog. Um, it's where, my, where I bought my house. Um, there's just so much. I love the weather. I love cold. I love going through the seasons. And I like that I'm like 25 minutes away from the city so I can get there whenever I want. But, yeah, I would just say there's so much to do. The hiking's good uh, in the summer. Jet skiing's really fun. Boating's fun. But I won't get to do that in the summer much. But, yeah, I like the winters. I like the falls. And I like just the people in general that are there. You're, um, if there were one thing that you like about Tampa Bay most, what is it about the area? Uh, I honestly don't really go out too much. So I would say I like that it's hot. I like I like that it's warm. I like the beaches. So that would probably be my go-to is the beaches. But outside of that. Not found a hiking spot yet? No, no hiking spot. I haven't really. Well, it's the season, so my body's really just focused on season. So when I'm not playing, I'm usually just sitting at home doing nothing because I just want to rest for the next day. No video games? No. I play Fortnite, yeah. <laughs> I play a lot of Fortnite. Um and then I'll just listen to music, download music, um, but nothing too crazy. I mean, I'm just getting ready for the next day. And the, in the off season in Seattle, I, I have all that time to go do whatever I want. So it's a lot different. Walkout music, 
Why? Why you got what? Meek Mill still? Why? Tell me why that. Why that's your your go-to? I don't know. It's something about I feel his energy and how fired up he is through the song, and I like it. I honestly never really listened. Like I never listened to the song ever. Uh, I listen to more like mellow music, but that song, I guess. I like the beat that it has. I like how it makes me feel before I pitch, and I guess that's all I need to like a walkout song. <laughs> I didn't know if you had like a another if there was another Seattle artist of choice. If you had to choose one, that it would be a, a go-to for you. Yeah, for a walkout song, I feel like it has to be a little more like up tempo, personal. Got to be kind of mean, and I felt like that song is <laughs> he's kind of going through something, so I liked it. But if it was a walkout song for like me waking up or something or me playing Fortnite it would be a lot more like low key, funny, just free spirited in a way. Are you good by the way at Fortnite? And if not, who in that clubhouse do you know that is good at Fortnite? Yeah, I wanna say I'm good. I would say I'm great at Fortnite. Um but in the clubhouse all the guys play PS four, so I play Xbox. So it's hard to really tell who's good and who's not. But I've heard our clubby Jonah is pretty good. I've seen him play. I think he's okay. I'm not going to give him the credit he wants. <laughs> but I think he's okay. But if we play more, I might give him a little more credit. You deserve credit for the year you've had to this point. What has Kyle Snyder meant to this year? Uh, well, Kyle Snyder, for my whole career, has meant a whole lot. So for this one year, I mean, it's the same thing. It means the world to me. But, uh, no, I just like the the, the – the, the chemistry we've built, the, everything that we've gone through, it's personal to him, it's personal to me. We're both on the same page. He cares about my career as much as I do. Um, but he cares about it, me being healthy, me producing. Uh, good or bad, I like that he's always looking to get better. He, he's on the same, like that's kind of what started me on the, I'm just focused on getting better because it's it's true. I'm, I'm looking at all the bad that happened in every start and focusing on fin- making it better, making the next start that much more sweeter for me. Uh, but still, I think you can never really be satisfied with a good or a bad start. You just got to learn from it. You got to grow from it and make sure that next start's that much better. This year is a success for you if what happens the rest of the way? Uh, yeah, if I stay consistent, it'd be a successful year. But uh, I would say as long as I continue to grow, continue to build. I just want to become the player that I know I could become, and I know it's going to take a lot of time, and I'm willing I'm willing to put, put all the work in to see that see that happen. But at the same time, I would just say consistency is everything. As long as I stay consistent, I continue to, to build in the right direction, then I would say this year is going to be successful. I know for Arch it meant a lot to get to 200 innings, and you're a long way from that right now. But is that one of your goals this year, or, or do you have any – specific goals other than making all your starts yeah i mean making all my starts staying healthy is obviously number one if i'm not healthy i can't do anything past that but 200 innings is what i've had my my mind on because arch always uh is giving me crap for it so he says once you if you get 200 innings then you can talk to me so i'm trying to talk to him so i gotta get to 200 innings i know he's gonna get there as well so we're both pushing each other to get 200 innings and we both can talk about when the season ends, how it feels to both of us. And if I were to sit down with you five years from now, what do you hope you've accomplished by that point? Uh, I hope I'm starting to be the player that I want to be. 
I hope I, all the goals that I've set, I, I've, I've completed and done. Um, but yeah, I just, I just want to keep getting better and keep moving in the right direction of where I know I want to be at the end uh, of my career. So in five years, I just hope I set a good foundation to do that. Well, so far, so good on this year. We appreciate some time today on This Week in Rays Baseball, and I hope Seattle's been good to you this week. Appreciate it. I'm sure it will be, or it has. That is Blake Snell joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball, and we continue in a moment. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solans today from Seattle. It's been an interesting week for the Rays. It included Nathan Avaldi's return and much more. Joining me to discuss the week on by... Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. We usually have the pleasure of having him live, just never for me, live and in person. How are you? I'm doing great, Neil. It's awesome just to do this face-to-face. I mean, we get to hang out a lot today from what I hear. Yes, we do. So let's let's get to what I thought was probably the best story of the week, and that's Nathan Ovaldi's return. How special was it, not only that he got back, but how well he pitched? Well, I think, yeah, both. And, and really, you know, kind of take it from both respects. I mean, he was so close uh, at the end of spring training. He was ready to go. And then he was about, you know, on a schedule to come back around the third week of May. And then he had the little issue with the side. So a couple things that kind of deterred him. So just to get him back itself was cool. But obviously the way he pitched and, you know, the fact that Kevin Cash just had the incredible gall to take him out after six no-hit innings. And that was a great return. And I think for Nate Evaldi, you know, the, the little Dallas Braden uh accusations aside which seemed kind of out of place i thought everything else for native aldi couldn't have gone better and now it'll be curious to see you know he basically told us i know you were standing there that day in the open coliseum clubhouse is okay the spectacle's over you know and now he's ready to just go back and pitch on a regular rotation and that turn's going to come up tuesday night against that max scherzer dude yeah not a bad uh, second opponent that he's got to face and it comes in a week which has been really wacky i mean the rays first win five in a row and now they've dropped three straight and I mean, what sleepless in Seattle was 25 years ago, but it seems like that long since the Rays have won at Safeco Field. I would have bet so much you were going to make a sleepless in Seattle reference. And <laughs> next we're going to hear about you've got mail, right, when you use your AOL account. Yeah. No, I mean, this has become, in a way, maybe the new Kansas City, as Andy Freed was just saying. I mean, good food and bad baseball for the Rays. And uh, it happened for a while where they couldn't win in Kansas City, and now they haven't won here in this beautiful ballpark, in this beautiful city, the Emerald City, since 2015. So, you know, today obviously will be an interesting day for them to break the streak. Uh, you've got Blake Snell on the mound, Seattle area kid. Maybe they've got that going that for them. Felix Hernandez pitching for the Mariners. Obviously hasn't pitched nearly as well as the Felix of the past. But interesting, Blake said he grew up idolizing Felix mm-hmm. Hernandez. He's got a bobblehead at home and uh, certainly said it's almost as exciting to face Felix Hernandez as it is to be pitching in front of his whole family. And, and this really is the gauntlet of the schedule, Mark. I mean, you take a look at uh, what the Rays have in June. Only three games against sub-500 teams. That's Toronto. Uh, teams that right now would be in the playoffs if the season started today in Washington, Seattle, uh, New York, and Houston. That's a lot of games. And not only that, but the Rays aren't healthy right now either. No, they're obviously uh, beat up a little bit in a couple different areas. And then, you know, it didn't sound encouraging today talking to Chris Archer, who said, you know, I asked him this specifically, and he said it's questionable if he'll be able to make his next start. He's going to see a specialist uh, on Monday in the uh, D.C. area. But uh, leaving that game yesterday a little prematurely with the tight groin, and you know, he hasn't had this before. He said he prides himself, as we know, how much it means to him to take the ball every five days. But just the way he was talking and the way Kevin Cash was talking, it almost sounds like they're anticipating you know, needing to have him at least miss a start and maybe slot him on the 10-day DL or something. And 
it's on top of the fact that Kyle Snyder hasn't been here the last two days because of a private medical matter. Yeah, that, uh, you know, news came out this morning. Uh, obviously not a lot of details yet. The team and, and the family asking for privacy here, but the fact that Kyle Snyder's been in the hospital and uh, no one seems to know exactly, you know, what, or at least not saying exactly what's going on when he'll be back, but certainly that adds to, as you said, just kind of the oddness of this. Stan Borowski, the bullpen coach, stepped in and, I thought we might have seen uh, Chico Fernandez going down to the bullpen and acting as acting bullpen coach, but I think the bullpen catchers have handled it to this point. All kidding aside, uh, you did a, a really nice piece in the Times today on the draft. I know you're going to be writing on that going forward, and that's obviously where a lot of energy of the race front office is, is they have six of the first 92 picks. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a couple different ways to break it down. They've got five of the first 71. They've got seven of the first 126 and 92. But no matter how you want to slice it or parse it, this is a major opportunity for the Rays. I mean, they had it in 2011 and wrote about it today in the Tampa Bay Times, TampaBay.com, like you said, Neil. And, you know, you can you can make the case that if you got Blake Snell out of that draft, everything else you did didn't matter. Or you can make the case that with 10 of the first 60 picks and all the buildup they had of how this was going to alter their franchise, that it didn't work out very well at all. And, and not all for their fault, some things that you wouldn't expect to happen injuries and a legal issue with one of the players behavioral issues but reality is they had this opportunity in 2011 did not take full advantage of it they've got a similar opportunity this week starting tomorrow with the number 16 pick you know i know you and i have both spent a lot of time talking to rob metzler the amateur scouting director and the staff they feel confident they've changed their uh procedures a little bit their policies they've you know kind of trying to find the sweet spot between the data oriented approach and the old uh, eye test from the scouts and, and try to figure out how to best apply that so i'll be curious to see how they do we obviously won't know no matter what the experts say on monday or tuesday night we'll know two or three years from now when we're sitting here in seattle and you and andy are again going over your pregame notes like in 2020 maybe or so like that who knows well we know this it's good reading in the times we have people take a look at it and we appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Cool. I didn't realize you got so dressed up for radio. The top hat and tails is amazing. <laughs> That's Mark Topkin at the Tampa Bay Times. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Race Baseball Network. This is 620 WDAE St. Petersburg. It is WBTP HD3 Clearwater and 95.3 FM. Home of the Rays. Mark Topkin mentioned the Major League Baseball draft. He also mentioned Rob Metzler, the race director of Amateur Scouting. And I asked Rob to explain to fans what the final hours before the draft are like. I think the final hours are our draft board is in pretty you know, vague term, but is in pretty good shape. You know, we try to do everything we can not to have any late emotional decisions. We try and factor all of the looks that we've had on the players, all the different perspectives that we get from different you know, phase, parts of baseball operations to come to a board that we feel at this point is pretty stable. And, and the last few hours is often about communicating with those, you know, options we think might be available and, and making sure as things speed up, think, you know, it is five minutes. I think maybe this year it's four minutes between picks, but it, that four minutes does go, you know, it seems slow. I know on television, my wife says it's slow, but for me, it's going pretty fast. So making sure that you're in, in a good position so that when it's time to make a decision, you, you know, have have all your details lined up. On paper, it looks like at results, your last couple drafts have gone fairly well. How have you felt about the last couple drafts, and are there things that you're still changing within your processes to make sure you give yourself even a better chance of being successful going forward? We're always changing our process. To answer your second question, the, our, our process, we are – relentlessly pursuing different ways to improve. Uh, that doesn't mean those, I wouldn't say those are broad strokes that we, we are 
you know, more fine tuning. As scouts, we are constantly looking at types of players we might be undervaluating, types of profiles we might be undervaluating. The picture that is, you know, the baseball player, the complete 100% picture, what percentage of, you know, of that player do we actually truly know? You know, trying to increase that percentage between makeup, between physical projection, all, all of the different things that go into future success. We're trying to increase the you know the portion of that pie that we understand at all times from a analytical viewpoint looking back at trends within the draft to see you know if there's anything that's going to tip the scales in our favor at all you know we, we are constantly looking for looking for those things so so that that's the answer to your second question i think you also asked about how how we feel about how 16 and 17 and I guess those, you know, that's specifically what you asked, but I kind of look at it as our department as a whole, and I've been very involved for, for some time now. So I think the public view of our farm system is, is good. You know, I, I think that's due to the work that our staff and our department's done. I think it's due to the work that the international department's done, adding some really, you know, talented prospects and, and, and certainly our pro department and, and some of the deals that we've made. So we're, we're happy with how that's gone and, and certainly how our recent draft picks have have gotten their careers underway we, we feel like they're you know they're on the right track and, and progressing the way we really hoped they would have every draft is important but this is probably the most picks that you've had in the top 100 since 11 so is this draft any more important in terms of the fact that you've got three out of 32 and six of the top 100 yeah i mean it, it's more important in that we just have a bigger bonus pool than we've had and you know certainly the proportion of picks and the opportunity that yields and, and the large bonus pool we, we have to, to operate with, it gives us an opportunity that I'm sure there are 29. Well, the Royals have as big a bigger bonus pool than us, but there's an opportunity that 28 other teams would be envious of. Uh, and, and we have, you know, 16, 31, 32, 56, 71, and then every subsequent pick in, in each round. That's a great opportunity to add talent to the organization. So it, it's, yeah, it, it is quite an important drink. We, we, our staff, you know, our, our front office group, I, I think we treat every opportunity with, with a, real, a real intensity that, that uh, you know, every every draft. I don't know that I feel any more stressed now in 2018 than I did in 2016, my first year in this seat, or in 2014 when I was, you know, RJ's right-hand man. I don't know that there's any more stress in any of those years, but it's certainly, you know, aware of the opportunity that we have. and really happy with the work that our groups put in to prepare for it with the size of this year's bonus pool though how does this draft talent compare overall we're pleased with the opportunity i mean that that we have uh, I, I think that it is a deep group um we're, we're we're hopeful that the the selections we make and the process that we put forth to to lead to those selections you know we're optimistic let me let me put it that way i, I think there is i think this is you know i think when we look back at the 2018 class i think I think we'll say that, you know, I, I think there will be a good percentage of big leaguers in this, you know, and impactful big leaguers in this group. Where is it strongest? Um, is it college? Is it high school? Is it pitching? Is it position players? And, and, and maybe where is it not only strongest at the top, but where is it, let's say, deepest overall? I think it's fairly balanced, Neil. I, I, I think that there's, you know, there's certainly, you know, depth in arms, you know, in both the college ranks and the high school ranks. Uh, there is, you know, and, and there's some, really good impactful position players and profiles you know both from from college and and from the high school ranks so you know i, I think that it is balanced and I, I i think that it's fairly deep and i think it should you know hopefully our board's in a good position where where the ones that we think are you know are 
tops at each one of those picks and opportunities that we have. Hopefully, you know, those guys pan out as well as, as we hope. You obviously follow this a lot better than I do. So tell me from a state perspective, it seems on paper there are a lot more in-state kids, whether they're at colleges in Florida or whether they're high school kids in Florida, there seems to be a lot more upper-level talent. Is that true or is it just perception hearing a lot of names? I, I I've spent more nights in Florida this year than I have in recent years. So, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, Florida is always a strong state, but it is, it is absolutely, it's been a good year here locally, uh, both college town, you know, at the, at the major universities and some, some, what I probably term mid majors, uh, the talented, talented kids. And then the high school group is, you know, is, you know, there's some really talented, you know, position players and pitchers amongst the high school group. So it, it's, uh, it's been nice to, you know, and again, we have high expectations for the state of Florida, but certainly this year they've met it. Whether they're your 16th pick, your your pick, you know, before 32, how often do you get to see those kids, you personally, and how much of your staff, how many different eyes are, are laying looks on those guys that you take with those higher level picks normally? I would, on average, I would say that our we will have seven or eight evaluations on, on those prospects that are in consideration for those big investments. Um, personally, I, I will have seen, you know, I'm very active in the summer, you know, summer showcase tour, you know, for the high school kids and the Cape and Team USA for, for the college kids. Uh, so generally, I, I will have seen those kids two, three, four games, you know, throughout the spring to add to a lot of footage, you know, during summers leading up to it. And that's similar to the rest of our staff so that when they submitted an evaluation or they, they come into our draft room to talk about, their beliefs in, in a prospect it's not just on the single game that they saw it, it will be there will be a depth of of you know of looks at that prospect so that they're so that we we know as much as we can you know and have as much certainty about what, where the kids are right now and the size of the bonus pool you have does it allow you to be any more creative in terms of acquisition of talent than let's say you can in other years sure <laughs> yeah, simple answer yes i don't i don't know if the Draft board will yield that strategy if, you know, there's some years that it makes sense to, you know, just, you know, you're going to have a, you know, quote unquote slot selection, you know, bing, bang, boom, down the board. And other years there might be an opportunity that yields itself one way or the other where, where it's not as straightforward how, how, how things play out. We are in a position of, of strength, and that's, that's a good, good opportunity. And that's the race director of amateur scouting, Rob Metzler, joining us now on the phone for some national perspective on the draft is one Jonathan Mayo of MLB Pipeline and MLB Network. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Neil. We, uh, we spoke with Rob Metzler earlier in the program, and uh, obviously the Rays are in an interesting position this year because they have six picks in the top 100, including 16, 31, 32. How deep overall is this year's draft, and this, is this a good draft to have uh, such a plethora of picks in that area? I think uh, I think it is actually, and that, to me, the strength of the draft is its depth, and not necessarily its elite level talent at the top. There's been a general lack of separation. You know, certain guys have had. You know, there's been some injuries and things like that, so there's a bunch of question marks. So, uh, for me, it's a good year to have uh, a, a lot of picks. Have picks uh, sort of stacked up at the end of the first round. Uh, or even in the middle of the first round like uh, like the Rays do. Cause I think that this is one of those years, Neil, that the pick that the Rays get in the middle of the first may be good as the pick the Reds get at five. Hmm. You know, I don't know that there's that much separation between there 
and then and then it filters down. So I think there's going to be a lot of talent uh, for the Rays to, to choose from. Uh, of course, uh, fans of Rays draft history should note that just you know, as they well know, uh, just because you have a lot of picks doesn't mean that you succeed with them. No doubt, and we go back to 2011 where they didn't and weren't able to hit on uh, a bulk of those choices. But right. you take a look at their last couple drafts. Obviously, Brendan McKay is performing extremely well at the top of their draft. Michael Mercado made a very good impression and should be in, I would think, in Hudson Valley this year in 17. Josh Lowe has done fairly well from the 16 draft, and so have several others. And you've got mm-hmm. Joe McCarthy, Brandon Lau from the 15 class. So they've done better recently. Um, so maybe their processes are a little bit different. Where is this draft strongest in terms of its depth to you? You know, on paper, it's high school pitching. To me, that's uh, the, the deepest group, and it, and it was coming in. Uh, the thing that makes it a little harder to, to figure out is that some of the high school pitchers who likely would have been top half of the first round picks, maybe even top ten picks, uh, there have been uh, a couple of uh, injury issues. Now, all of them have come back in some capacity, so it's just going to be a question of team's comfort level uh, with medical reports and things of that nature, and obviously that's the highest risk there is anyway. So you, if you can add in a little bit of a hit, you know, an injury concern, then you're rolling the dice even more. Uh, but there is a lot of high school pitching talent. By and large, you know, uh, historically, uh, you'll hear high school pitching names sort of creeping up, and then right when push comes to shove, Teams decide they don't want to take that risk. Mm-hmm. So right around like when the Rays have their picks in the in the 30s, uh, a lot of the that pool will sort of gather there for for teams uh, that are interested in that kind of uh, upside, high risk, high reward. Uh, th- there will be plenty to choose from. And where is let's say the dap- the the draft have less depth? Where where is there less depth this year than maybe other years? Well, I don't know if it's you know than any years, but uh, there's always uh, wish for more college hitting. There, you know, the, the, the biggest problem has been is that I think the scouting industry has done a fantastic job in identifying hitters out of high school and drafting and finding them. So as a result, the college bat pool uh, tends to be drained somewhat uh, and, and isn't very deep. Uh, you know, there have been some exceptions where guys kind of rise up, and then there are some, you know, really, really good college bats – in, in, in this class, but outside of, say, Nick Madrigal at Oregon State, you know, Joey Bard at Georgia Tech, they haven't necessarily, you know, gone out and performed, uh, and then the guys that have performed aren't really the sort of top of the first round kind of kind of picks. Uh, so there's not as much to choose from now, again, when you start, you know, having those extra picks, uh, or even, you know, second, third round. I think there's probably going to be some value to be had, uh, maybe if there's some college guys who, you know, are the sort of college performer type who, uh, you know, end up being better than you would expect, or conversely, the guys who didn't perform as expected but have some tools that might interest you. Being in the state of Florida, it seems to me this year, and Florida is usually a good state for the draft, but there are more talents within the state. Is that correct from your standpoint, too? I mean, I look at the pitching at Florida, at Stetson, at USF, um, and obviously there are some uh, very well thought of high school players within the state of Florida that that could surface in the first round. Right. Yeah. I I don't have you know uh, strict data in front of me, but it is a good year in Florida. Uh, there, there's no question. 
Uh, it helps offset the fact that California is is down this year. Uh, you know, but yes, I would agree with you that uh, you know Florida uh, is you know is way up there. Uh, I think it had we were doing a by state breakdown, and I think there are more players in our top 200 from Florida than any other state, which isn't so surprising. But uh, yeah, there are some high end guys. I mean, it helps when you have one school in the University of Florida, three guys who mm-hmm. uh, are going to go, you know, fairly high up in in the, in the first round. Jackson Coar may be the one guy who doesn't go in the top half of the first round, but he's he could, he certainly could, and, you know. So. <laughs> That helps right right there, and you know you, you mentioned some of the other schools have the, some colleges have some first round talent, and then there is a nice collection of of high school high school arms, a couple of bats, all of whom uh, sort of fit into the first round picture. You know, uh, the kid from Plant High School, right, uh, Connor Scott. Yeah, Connor Scott. Connor Scott is, uh, is is an interesting running. You know, not surprisingly, he gets compared to Kyle Tucker. Uh, the Astros prospect, also from Plant High School, his brother Preston is in the big mm-hmm. leagues, just because of the similar similar build. He's got more speed. Frankly, you know, he'd been hurt a lot of the year with a hamstring injury. Um, you know, was DHing, and, and his best tool is his speed. So you know, people didn't get a great look at him, but he swung the bat well. So it, he's a, I don't think he's a, a real wild card because uh, he's going to do really well. But I think that if he's been 100 percent healthy. Uh, with the way he performed in the other parts of his game, he, he you know, he, he could have figured into the into the top ten. As it is, you know, his name was popping up in the top half of the first round, you know, right around when the Rays had that their first pick. Jonathan, really good stuff as usual, and we look forward to watching you uh, and following you tomorrow night. Thanks, Neil. That is Jonathan Mayo of MLB Network coming up from Seattle. Hear from a 20-year Rays employee and Soot Zimmer right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Time now for our latest feature on 20-year employees in this 20th anniversary season. I am Dan Muller, head groundskeeper, and I started December 22nd of 1997. I hadn't really done anything at this professional level before. I was basically just a groundskeeper at uh, Namoli Complex in 97, and uh, there was five of us that were hired right away, and it was a, definitely a different look on things. Tell me what those first few days, weeks were like, um, because you guys basically had to put a field in inside. Well, at the time, I was out at the Namoli Complex where we did our basically our spring training and, and all that, and out there, it was a lot of hard work. We had six fields to deal with, and we didn't have a lot of tools at the time because we were still waiting on a lot of equipment to come in that we were going to lease. What has then been, let's say, the best part about the 20-plus years with the Rays? When I was promoted to head groundskeeper. That was when? That would have been January of 2001. Uh, within the first year, I became the supervisor out there, and by year three, I became the head groundskeeper here at the Tropic, which also oversees all our complexes as well. How many? Give us an idea how much you oversee. Well, we have here at the Trop, of course, uh, but then in Port Charlotte, where we do our spring training and minor league facilities, we have five and a half fields down there plus a stadium field. So we, we do have quite a bit of natural grass. Uh, most people think all we have is artificial turf, but we actually have quite a bit of natural grass. And the landscaping around the ballpark, too? Landscaping. We have 85 acres around Tropicana Field, plus another 20 acres in uh, uh, Port Charlotte for landscaping. 
Is that what you consider your greatest accomplishment? And if not, what has been in working for the Rays over the 20-plus years? I'd consider that my greatest accomplishment with the Rays uh, is probably not one of the – I mean, it was a great accomplishment, but when we went to the playoffs in 08, that was probably the most fun I've had. I'm sure you have some fun stories, some involving you, some involving others. What's one that sticks out to you that you'd want to share? Well, Rick Nath could probably come up with a lot of them, but uh, probably my – my best times were with uh, Tom Foley, who um, was always interesting to be around. And we, you know, especially in the early days, first day I met him was um, probably the third day on the job back in 1997. And with the five of us standing there at attention, meeting Tom Foley, we all had beards. And at the time, there was a no facial hair policy. So Tom Foley said we all looked great, except uh, he expected the beards to be gone by after Christmas. And of course, they were. Now we've kind of gone back to being able to have some facial hair so i enjoy that part of it and that's dan moeller congrats to him on his time with the rays few employees though have had an impact on the rays is don simmer on the eve of the anniversary of his passing i spoke with his wonderful widow soot in our anniversary conversation an annual conversation about how quickly the time has flown by oh definitely i in fact i keep bringing up how fast time flies and I don't think it is just because I'm old, and I am old, because <laughs> I talk to my grandkids, and they say the same thing. I cannot believe it'll be four years that Don is gone. It really, it just is amazing. Tell me some of the things that you've done in the past year, because I know we do this on an annual basis, and, and there are a lot of ways that Don is recognized and remembered, and, and I think all in good ways. Oh, I appreciate that. I am indebted to the Rays forever, the way they have kept him, his name in the limelight in a certain way. He... They do that Clearwater for Youth Scholarship, and then I come down to the TROP and present it. And then they have the MVP award at the end of the season, and I go to the, to the, to the luncheon for that. Uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, but for myself, if anybody came to my condo and looked around, it looks like a museum for Don Zimmer. And don't think I did all this after he passed, because this was all here <laughs> A long time ago. So every day I look and I can see his face. So he's with me every day. And uh, that's nice. And I do appreciate the Rays keeping his name, you know, in the forefront and doing the things that they have done. And I'm sure he's not, you know, the Rays aren't the only one, too. I mean, there are a lot. I still remember, I mean, it seems like yesterday and the draft is coming up here on the 4th. I remember Bud Selig when he was still commissioner talking about Don right after he passed and, and, and kind of saying, hey, if you guys are like Don was, you're going to be pretty successful in so many words. Yes, when I saw that, I was very, that was very nice that he did that. Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I'm, I, you know, if Don was here, we'd say, pretty good for a 235 hitter. <laughs> <laughs> that was his biggest thing. Any accolades he got, he got, not bad for a 235 hitter. No, he wasn't a Joe DiMaggio or a Mickey Mantle or anything. But he put in his time and... I think he meant something to baseball. You know, I think one of the neat things about coming here and, and chatting with you is, you know, just looking around the room, too, and seeing – are, are there things that, that – of, of all the things that are in this room that stick out to you, what are your favorites of, of photos or memoirs or memories? Well, I know that, that picture over there that you're looking at with his picture that was given to him by the Yankees when he was in baseball 50 years – it, that was one of his favorites because on there, if you look close, there's a picture of even his mother and father that was hand-painted in there. Now, that's, that was one of his – oh, there's so much in here. I think the helmet, the bats, the bats uh, on the wall when you come in, uh, they mean a lot. 
I explain that to a lot of people. The black bats years ago when Don played, you never batted with a black bat. That was strictly a commemorative bat. Do, do you know? Did you know that you got them for All Star games and World Series? Now they bat with bat black. Well, I don't know all. Probably every color bat. I've even seen them bat with the pink ones for Mother's Day and all that. But I think that's impressive. Uh, all the different bats that I have, and, and he was on several. He was on a All Star team as a player, but he was on when you are on a World Series team the next year. You know that's who the manager of the All Star team is, the two World Series managers. And when we were with the Yankees, and then, well, they they got in it a few times, so Don got to go, and so then he got a bat. You know, I mean, and he and like I say, he was on. He happened to play on the All Stars when they had two All Star games. Did you know that there were two one year? I didn't. Yes, there was one in San Francisco, and then there was one in Boston. Now, wasn't that unusual? I wonder why they did that. But that one year, they had two, so he had to go both places. <laughs> but anyway. You did a lot, of, a lot of work over the years, and I guess, you know, you're enjoying, I guess, not only the fact that he's being remembered, but also you've got so many children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, too? I've got five greats. That's another... <laughs> That's another reason I'm, I'm old. <laughs> Five grades. Yes, I have two children, and then they each had children, and then they all, and the great, yes. And I don't know what they're going to do with all this, but you know, at the bottom of that trophy case are about 70 scrapbooks. In fact, there was an article in the Times here one time about all my scrapbooks. So, oh, it's been some months ago. Uh, Jeff Idelson, the president of the Cooperstown, you know, he called me. He must have seen the article, and he said, uh, "So, what are you going to do with all all those scrapbooks?" And I said, "Probably when I hit the deck, the kids will have a bonfire." <laughs> no, 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 no. He said, "Give them to us." He said, "You've got so much history in there," and I do. I have programs. I've got uh, World Series tickets. And he said, "Please." Well, I don't know what the kids are going to, you know, I don't know where they'd go with all of them. But anyway, so that's where it's going, and that makes me feel good that somebody <laughs> wants them. I, I would think a lot of people would be interested in the, the history. I mean, you were a part of it for so many years, too. And I'm sure you remember just as much as without even looking at the books. You know, and it's funny. Uh, in his later years, once in a while, Don would mention something, and then he'd want to verify it. Get me the year of the year, you know, and then I could – because they're all in chronological order, you know, so I can pick out the year, the team, and find something that he wanted to verify or something. So you had about 70 scrapbooks. Was there one almost for every year that he was involved? So every year is a different – I've got – the first one is high school because we've been to get you know, we started dating in high school. So And he was a football, basketball, and baseball player, Legion ball and everything. And then one scrapbook for every year, yes. And then when he was a manager, sometimes it would take two. Every time there was an article in the paper that mentioned his name, I'd cut it out. Well, when you're the manager, your name is mentioned quite a bit sometimes. So, yes, I have one for every year. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but I'm sure he handled well, it all the well. I'm going to tell you about that. <laughs> yes, I put the good and the bad in. But then at the end, I thought, the heck with it. I'm not putting any more bad stuff in. <laughs> oh, I kidded with the writers after he died. They interviewed me, and I said to him, I said, now, everything you've said over the years, I've got them in scrapbooks that can verify it. And then I said, the good and the bad. <laughs> and then they all laughed. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there was more good than bad, no doubt about that. 
your uh, your your kids, your grandkids, your great grandkids. I know Whitney is a is a coach, and Tom is a scout still. So it's almost like you still got that tie to the game in a lot of ways. I think the idea that I had three grandsons and one granddaughter. Now the boys all played high school baseball and all that, but they went on to college and didn't pursue you know the sport. Here's Whitney, the girl. She was an All-American softball player at UMass and then has gone on to coaching. And Don used to call her on his cell phone after she coached a game, and they discussed you know, Not that he knew that much about girls' softball, but they would just discuss strategies. And not too long ago, I think it was last year, she pulled a suicide squeeze, and I thought I was going to faint watching it, streaming it on my iPad, because that was one of Don's favorite plays. <laughs> And I thought she is a chip off the old block. Yeah. You know, the game has changed a lot. I think we talked about that before we started recording. I wonder in today's day and age whether she would be coaching softball or whether she actually could work in a front office in baseball because you're starting to see so many more women, you know, as, as pioneers being members, higher members of front offices. Oh, that that's true. Uh, but, I mean, I know she loves what she's doing right now. And uh, she just had one of her girls become an All-American. And uh, she's proud of her girls, and she has fun doing it. And they have hard, you know, you win and you lose. You have heartaches like everything. But uh, that's all part of the game. No doubt. Um, you know, Don spent 66 years in the game, and, and that's why his number, for fans who don't know, is, is, is on our wall. And, and that's why it's 66. What's the biggest thing that you want? Because as we get, it doesn't seem like four years but there are fans who may not know who Don was and should know who Don was. What's the biggest thing you want them to know and should know about them, about him? I think the reason Don was remembered so much is because he seemed to be, somebody said he was like a Forrest Gump. He was always in the right place at the right time for different things to happen. I mean, to think that he played with Jackie Robinson, and now we have a Jackie Robinson day and the numbers retired everywhere. And, and things like that. And uh, I'm trying to think of some of the, you know, he, he was at Yankee Stadium and witnessed two perfect games. One sitting in the stands as an American Legion player that had just won the national championships. And they got to go to New York to watch the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees play in the World Series. And I often think of that. Here he was, a 16-year-old kid never dreaming that someday he'd play with the Brooklyn Dodgers and be with the Yankees. Now, now, isn't that, I mean, there's another <laughs> unusual thing. I don't know. He, Don was a great storyteller, too, and I think a lot of people remember all his stories, you know, that he told. And he mentored a lot of young fellas. And, uh, well, when, I, when I've got a, a book after he passed, somebody sent me a book that they took all the emails that were on on the internet and all the quotes were done and i've got a like a not a scrapbook it's a, it's a um, something of that nature well anyway it's it's two inches thick i didn't see any of those so that was so nice that somebody did that i don't know he was well known for 
Being a good guy, I guess. <laughs> yes. Well, liked, like to tease. I think there's no doubt about that, too. Oh, Don, he had fun. He always said baseball is a game, and you should have fun. Don't you know? Don't always be doom and gloom if you lose and all that. You got to have fun. But then you know he took it seriously too. But yes, he loved the game, or he wouldn't have stayed in. And I don't know. Realize if people realize why that sixty-six. That's the number of years. Somebody started it. I think it was even before he came to the race. They start changing his number on his uniform by the number of years he was in the game. So it started in the 50s. And then when he got here, West, he was the clubhouse guy, and he kept changing it. And, of course, the last year it was 66. So that's where the 66 comes in. And I think the, the wonderful thing is you've got some a vibrancy about you still and, and enthusiasm for the game that, you know, I think permeates in, in – um, I think it's important for people to see that too, because you had to do a lot, so much during all of this time for him, with him, um, for your family. I'll tell you, there I was sitting last night watching the Rays game, <laughs> and it was a good game too. I just can't stop watching baseball. I mean, it was my whole life. I started watching him when we started dating in high school, and I've been doing it ever since. And then I watch my kids, my grandkids, and uh, you know, it's just. Baseball is, is my life, too. And this is a scrappy group. I think he would like these guys. Yes. Uh, yes. I don't know if there's any of them left. Maybe Archer. I don't know how many were still around when he was around. But, uh, yes, it, they are surprising everybody. They're very scrappy. And <laughs> I, I love it. And that's kind of him, too, his personality. That's what he was. He, like he said, because he, he became friends with Jackie Robinson, you can look in my foyer and there's a picture of he and Jackie playing golf together. He said, Jackie liked me not because I was a great player, but the way I played the game. And you're talking about scrappy and loving it and doing it the right way. That that was Don's way, yes. Well, hopefully the Rays continue to – I'm sure they will continue to honor, recognize, but I think hopefully our fans continue to recognize – you and Don and all you guys have been to the game of baseball. Thank you. I appreciate that, Neil. And that is Soot Zimmer, who told me of all the items of Don's, the Manager of the Year award he earned certainly sticks out. Tomorrow, take some time. Remember, a great manager, a terrific coach, player, and baseball man as well. Special thanks to all of our guests, especially Soot Zimmer, for coming on the program. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons. Now, next week on the program, you're going to hear from catcher Wilson Ramos, about his return to Washington to take on the Nationals. We'll also have a full recap of the Major League Baseball draft that begins tomorrow. Special thanks to my producer today, Jason Berenger, Neil Solon, saying stay tuned. Rays trying to win a game in Seattle against the Mariners and salvage the last of three. The pregame show is coming up with Steve Carney next on the Rays Baseball Network.